Welcome to Betrayal Trauma Recovery, BTR.org. I'm Anne. I'm sure you remember what it was like when you were searching for help, maybe for your husband, hoping to find the right program or therapist. That's why I started podcasting. I supported my husband through seven years of pornography addiction recovery, and not one therapist during that time told me I was experiencing emotional and psychological abuse and sexual coercion. I didn't want any other woman on the planet to be in the dark. If you're like the majority of my listeners, you're experiencing the type of abuse that's invisible and difficult to wrap your head around. Your husband is using porn or having affairs or lying to you, and you're getting the same bad advice about how to improve communication or your relationship. If you need support from women who totally understand, check out our daily group session schedule at btr.org group. We'd love to see you in a session today. One simple anonymous way to help spread the word is to click, follow, or subscribe to the Betrayal Trauma Recovery Podcast on your favorite podcasting app. While you're there, every five-star rating helps make this podcast more visible and will help save other women from getting the wrong kind of help, like a couple program that will make this type of abuse worse. For those of you who follow or subscribe to this podcast, thank you so much. Your support means so much to me. Rachel Grant is the owner and founder of Rachel Grant Coaching and is a sexual abuse recovery coach. She's also the author of Beyond Surviving, the final stage in recovery from sexual abuse. She works with survivors of childhood sexual abuse who are beyond sick and tired of feeling broken, unfixable, and burdened by the past. She helps them let go of the pain of abuse and finally feel normal. Welcome, Rachel. Thank you, Anne. So nice to be here today. How did you arrive where you are now to specialize in sexual abuse recovery coaching? In my personal journey, I was sexually abused by my grandfather when I was 10 years old. From that moment of that trauma starting, life just changed. It's amazing how immediately life shifts when abuse starts. For quite some time, my grandfather lived in our home, and he had prior to that really been a very close friend and companion, someone who I enjoyed spending time with. But then, you know, overnight, all of that changed. Finding myself immediately in this situation at 10 years old where I'm scared, I'm confused, I don't understand what's going on, that was really daunting. It went on for quite some time. When my parents discovered what was going on, my mom just happened to walk by one day and noticed what he was doing. They immediately got him out of my home, which was something I've always been very thankful for because I know, having worked with survivors now for 11 some years, that that's not always the case. And, you know, and even though he was out of the house, that really didn't do anything to stop the experiences that I was having, the thoughts that were now there with me on a day-to-day basis. You know, I've done something to cause this. I'm bad. I'm broken. I'm dirty. I'm unlovable. I'm worthless. Those thoughts really remained with me over the next 16 years. You know, they were there during a 10-year relationship that was abusive. They were there in every moment of feeling suicidal. They were there just in my day-to-day walk. I found myself at this moment in my mid-20s. I was now divorcing, and I was in a new apartment. All I really had in that apartment was my sleeping bag and a lamp, and I had one of those, like, oh moments. Have you ever had one of those, Anne? (laughs) Where you're like, oh my gosh, this is not good. This is not working. My life is not looking the way I want it to look. I had a little sit down talk with myself in that moment and said, you know, Rachel, enough is enough. 
you've got to figure this out. You've been avoiding thinking about the abuse, really doing anything about it on a real level for so long. Now's the time. That's what really propelled me. And I I just became obsessed. I just decided I've got to answer this question. I've got to figure out how do I actually heal from this trauma? So I started reading everything I could. I did my master's in counseling psychology and I started to study neuroscience. And that's really when things started to click into place for me. I discovered how the brain is really impacted by trauma and abuse. And I began to think, okay, I can take that information and I can develop really simple strategies and skills that are going to help me heal and guarantee that I don't spend like the rest of my life in recovery. So I was really just trying to get myself together. That was really the impetus of all of this. What started to happen is everything I was learning started to coalesce into lessons and curriculum. My background is actually in teaching and education. My mind just kind of naturally goes to that. So bit by bit by bit, I began putting together what was making a difference for me. And that now is today the Beyond Surviving program. And that really is the roadmap that I use when working with survivors of childhood sexual abuse who are at that same place. You know, they're really ready to break free. I'm in the phase where I want to be done with the trauma. I want to be healed and I want to be on my way. And yet I'm still having triggers. I'm still having trouble with self-care. But I can see complete healing in the horizon. I believe that it's possible and I am working toward it and I'm very excited about that day, but I don't know what that's going to look like, right? I don't know when I'm going to wake up and be like, oh, this is the day, Mm -hmm. but I know that Mm -hmm. it's possible. That's the only thing I do know. And that's so key because staying in that place of possibility, even when some of the unknowns are still sitting there, that can be really challenging. To do that and to stay in that space is what propels us forward and keeps us moving towards that day. In my experience, there were just little moments that would happen. Here's me showing up in my life so radically different. And one of the things I often tell my clients is, Our goal here, ultimately, is to heal an injury, just like we would heal any other injury, like a broken leg. Mm -hmm. We don't spend the rest of our lives trying to manage a broken leg (laughs) or or thinking that, well, I broke my leg, so now that's just the way it is and there's nothing I can do about it. We do things to heal and to mend. Eventually, we can think about that day that we broke our leg, but it doesn't have the same charge It doesn't have that impact. It becomes just a piece of our story and our journey. For me, when I started noticing that that was happening more and more was when I started to really feel this key transition. Yeah. The other side of that coin, again, is when stuff is happening in our lives in the present day, because, you know, life keeps happening. (laughs) I've not yet figured out how to stop things that are challenging from coming up. Totally. But how are we responding to that? Do we feel equipped to, okay, here's a new challenge, but does that throw us all the way back into our history and our past and our trauma? Or do we go, okay, here, I'm dealing with this particular issue right here in the present. And I know how to do that. And I have a toolkit that really helps me navigate that from a very grounded and empowered place. For me, it's funny because I'll go back into that trauma mode, but not for very long anymore. I did it over the weekend, actually. I was like, okay, I know what to do. And the funny thing was, I just decided, but I don't want to quite yet. Today, I want to just be here in my sadness and 
my anger and my bitterness and I just want to feel this. I kind of sat in it for a while and I woke up the next day and thought, okay, today I'm going to use my tools. So the whole day is not shot. I love that you're saying that because one of the things that I think is a trap for those of us who have experienced trauma and are in this place of navigating life is that we have a setback or we have a day where we're just not feeling it or we're just particularly tender, right? We might be hungry, tired, stressed, overwhelmed. And so our ability to kind of access that toolkit or willingness to access the toolkit is depleted. If we can be kind and gentle to ourselves in those moments, just like you were with yourself, and then can say, you know, tomorrow's a new day. I can pick it up again tomorrow. That's so powerful. And even just that distinction, I think, of being able to notice what you're doing. Like, yep, I'm just kind of curling up right now, getting nice and cozy with my negative beliefs or my feelings, whatever's going on. That awareness, I think, in and of itself is really healing. Rather than having this experience of like, this is really real, right? And now everything's wrong or bad or back to where I started observing it from a distance, yeah. looking at myself thinking, yeah, it's okay. You can feel that for right now. It's just being able to have that metacognition, that exactly. ability to observe my own thinking patterns and observe my own thoughts, which I did not have before. How is it that our thinking gets in the way of our connecting with our genuine self and letting go of the pain and the abuse? Talk about when we're not using our tools. One of the things that I discovered is that the way that the brain is processing information is really important for us to understand why we have the reactions that we have in the present day. The brain is comprised of neurons, and there's billions and billions of these little guys. And as we are having experiences, these neurons are kind of talking to each other and creating what are called neuronal pathways. For example, if you think about the first time you had pumpkin pie, in that moment, a neuronal pathway is being created and associations are kind of getting built in. So who was there, where you were, what the smells were, did you like it, did you not like it? Right here today, as I'm talking about pumpkin pie, that same exact neuronal pathway is being lit up. And what's really fascinating about that, Anne, is every time a pathway is lit up, it is reinforced. But it also is added to so now your initial memory of pumpkin pie and this moment of listening to this redhead talk about pumpkin pie, <laughs> they're now together. <laughs> the pathway has been expanded. It's been reinforced. When it comes to pumpkin pie, that's not such a bad thing, right? Awesome. I have more memories of pumpkin pie. But when it's a memory of trauma, what is happening is that those neuronal pathways are holding associations. So it might be sights, smells, colors, textures, words, so that in the present day, when we come into contact with something that even closely resembles those associations, that same neuronal pathway lights up and it causes the system to respond as if the thing that was happening back then is happening right now. And this is essentially what being triggered or having a flashback really is. Real quick before a response, there are a lot of so-called betrayal trauma therapists or coaches or groups out there, but they don't approach pornography use or infidelity as an abuse issue, or they try to quote unquote treat both the abuser and the victim in the same setting, which is unethical. So if you hear something in this episode you relate to, check out the group session schedule at btr.org group. We'd love to see you in a group session today. Now back to our conversation. 
I wanted to see if I could actually create new associations, if I could create new neuronal pathways so that I could decrease the things in my exterior world that would be triggering And so that I could also really transform my internal thinking, those belief systems that become so entrenched for survivors. I was talking about a few of them earlier, like I'm not good enough. People are always out to get me. I'm just here to be used. Along the way, I started to develop some strategies to help with just that. To my mind, at the end of the day, I really wanted to think about trauma as an injury, an injury to the brain. And therefore, what do we do to heal the brain? There are lots of entry points into healing trauma, right? Some people go through the body first. Some people do a combination. For me, starting on that belief system level was really impactful and really is what ultimately helped me transform my life. I was at the Utah Coalition Against Pornography Conference. And a woman came up to me and she said, I so appreciate your podcast. It's so helpful. One of the things your podcast did for me was it enabled me to identify as a victim, Mm. which I hadn't really done before. It gave me that space to do that. Yeah. And I thought that was really interesting because I agree with her. Before I could heal, I had to acknowledge I had been wounded. Yes. Because we literally are victims, right? There was something that happened that we had no control over, that we had nothing to do with. We were injured by it. Then we have to step out of that into healing and not stay in victim mode. It's more like victims against victimhood. I found a lot of women, especially the women in our community who are wives or ex-wives of porn users. These men are abusive in one way or another. And they're having a hard time wrapping their head around that they really had nothing to do with it right? They really literally are a victim of abuse. And one of the reasons they have a really hard time wrapping their head around it is because abusive men manipulate you and lie to you in a way that you think you have something to do with it. Number one thing, I have been injured. And then getting ourselves to the hospital. When you were sharing it, it reminded me of this moment with my ex-husband. I was washing dishes and he knocked one of the glasses off of the counter onto the floor and it shattered. And he turns to me and and he says, what's wrong with you? I don't understand why you always do things like this. And I thought, what's happening here? (laughs) That was my first thought. But about 10 minutes later, I was apologizing. Yeah. One of the things that I've really put together and seen over my years of working is that I really do think of it as these stages. They're not necessarily linear, but we do have this initial stage of victim. And that often looks like that place where we are in denial about what happened, or we're just not ready to look at it, right? It's too much. It feels too scary, too overwhelming. And the bridge from victim to survivor is acknowledgement, exactly what you were saying. That moment where we go, this happened, it's a big deal, it matters, it's impacting my life. And as soon as we acknowledge that, that opens the door to work into this stage of survivorhood, which is where you begin to acknowledge and name and talk about what happened and get a better sense of why you struggle, where you struggle, what all these connections are. The thing that I am kind of on a mission about is making sure that women don't get stuck there. 
very easy to get stuck there so that we keep our eye on the fact that there is the next step of really getting to what I call beyond surviving. Some people call it thriving or, you know, beyond recovery. There's this next phase in your life. Totally. I've been on this survivor slash victim kick for a little bit. I've actually kind of been the opposite. Like at first I was like, I'm an abuse survivor. Wait, no, it's not over. I didn't survive the Titanic. Like the Titanic didn't sink and now it's done. And now I'm on dry land. Mm. I still have an abusive ex-husband who's still abusive to my children and still harasses me through my dad. Actually, technically speaking, still a victim of abuse, right. an ongoing victim of abuse. Yeah. So I'm like, what do I call myself then? A abuse sufferer? Like, what do I call myself? And I am actively, proactively, like I have a no contact boundary and I, and I go to my coach. These are the things I do. But that doesn't take away the fact that I still have someone in my life who is actively abusing me. I think so many women are in this situation. From your perspective, they went from sitting in victimhood and then going, a survivor is someone who's doing something about it. Yeah. You're right. You know, language is so important. And language has really defined the women's movement. That moment when women could start saying survivor was really impactful. I mean, it was powerful. And I think I'm in the same boat with you that there might be some shifting and moving that needs to happen along the way here so that we can, again, use language to further refine and define what this journey really is like. It's so tricky when you find yourself in that place of this internal healing like internally, you have these structures and systems that now feel very complete. You feel very resolved and healed. And then in your day-to-day life, though, you're walking back into or you're interacting with someone who is maintaining abusive behaviors. Exactly. Yeah. And in many women's cases, because they share children with this person, because of the way the laws are and because of other situations, they cannot have zero contact with their abuser. And in many cases, it's their sexual abuser. Because in many cases, for women who listen to our podcast, that their husbands were also sexually abusive. It is a very tricky situation. I've been calling us sheroes. We've got all of our equipment on, we have our helmet, we have all of our tools, we still have to run into that burning building every day. (laughs) That's fantastic. I love that. Shiro's is really beautiful. The image that's coming to mind for me is shielded survivor in the sense that you are going into this place where you're going to be interacting with someone who's going to be throwing abusive language towards you or abusive behavior towards you. And the distinction is, do you absorb that? Do you take it in? Do you own it? Does it impact you? Or do you have this new capacity to really stand shielded in front of that? And that takes so much courage. It takes so much energy. My goodness women out there, I applaud you, especially when you have little people involved and worry. A lot of my clients are parents. A lot of my clients are navigating abusive relationships, either currently in them or having left them, but now continuing to be in those relationships. So I have a lot of heart for that because it's definitely one of the harder things to navigate in this journey. But I think Shiro's is heading in the right direction. It wasn't until this weekend that I realized how triggery the word survivor is for me. And I thought, why is that? And I thought it's because to me, that implies a completion that the thing yeah. that almost killed you is done. 
right? So I survived the tornado. Mm -hmm. And when you're constantly in the tornado, it doesn't feel like you're a survivor. It feels like I'm really good at standing inside a tornado. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and I don't know what the word for that is. I'm thinking the word for that is Shiro. I'm really good at sinking on the Titanic every day, all day long. It's fun. It's so fun. It's such a good time. Oh my gosh. Yeah. How can survivors break free? Oh, there's that word again. So that's why I brought it up because I'm like a little triggered by it. Isn't that weird what triggers us? How can women break free from the pain of sexual abuse? In my work, and in my journey, what has made the biggest difference is, first of all, just knowing that there is breaking free, like that even exists. I was sitting with a therapist and I was talking about everything that had happened. I said, you know, so what do I do about this? Is there a way in which I can just have a normal life? Can I just be free from everything? And this therapist turned to me, Anne, and said, no. I started laughing. I was like, oh, you're funny. Ha ha ha. So really, how do I do this? <laughs> and he said, no, this will just be something you always have to deal with. Being the stubborn redhead that I am, I thought you are not right. That has got to be wrong. <laughs> yeah, I would have said the same thing. I'd have been like, uh, no. But unfortunately, that message is dominant. So many of those of us who've experienced abuse or trauma get this message. It's a lifelong sentence. It shapes you forever. It never goes away. It's always a thing. That's the first step to break free is to wander into this mindset shift of maybe that's not really true. Maybe there really is something else. Like what actually needs to happen in what order to produce the best result? So I get triggered. What am I going to do about that? That question really becoming the dominant theme is, to my mind, the way that we break free and really move forward. Yeah, I could not agree with you more. I mean, even if I do feel like I'm still living in the tornado, I am actively, and I mean actively, mm -hmm. working to, this is so awful, but this is how I say it. If I work hard enough and I work on my own healing, I have enough faith that eventually he'll get hit by a bus. <laughs> right now I am proactively creating the life that I want. I've got my vision board. I've got my tools recognizing that these things are still happening, but I really do believe that eventually I will walk out of that tornado and I will walk out of that tornado alive yes. and happy and everything will work out right now. I just happen to still be in the tornado actively working toward that day where I stand on that hill and free and there's no tornado, which is really exciting. And I think that's what so many women are working toward. And yet when you're in a tornado, you get exhausted, right? You get exhausted. So sometimes you sit down and you don't do anything. That's right. Take a recovery time out, please, ladies, because <laughs> it is effort. It is a strain on your system. It is exhausting. It's heart-centered. It's brain-centered. And you're doing all of that work and you're putting food on the table. You're doing your job. You're taking care of the kids. Yes, set aside what I call recovery timeouts. Yeah. Back in the day, I had to really pretend like life is great. <laughs> like I'm just going to do something that brings me joy. I'm not going to think about anything I need to fix. I'm not going to think about using any tools. I'm just going to be here in my life for a little minute. My capacity for that was like five minutes 
at one point. Yeah. Like that's really all I could do before everything just came back in. But eventually I got to the place where I had a bigger capacity and I could almost spend a whole day free from it all. And then the next day it would all be there and I'd be back in doing my work, doing my reflections, using my tools. Yeah. And I love that you brought that forward because we need those moments of reprieve so that we can re-energize and reconnect and keep moving forward and striving towards that. I love that vision of like standing on a hilltop and like all of this stuff is no longer able to reach you or get you. And that tornado might still be raging somewhere, Mm -hmm. but you don't have to be standing in it anymore. Not drawing you in. That's right. And I don't think we need to know the answers about how and when Mm -hmm. that would happen as long as we're actively working toward it. And my guess is, I mean, I, this is just a guess because this hasn't happened yet for me, but um, my guess is that one day I'll just be like, whoa, I'm fine. Like, I'm fine. <laughs> that's weird. There was this moment, I think, maybe about, uh, maybe about, oh gosh, nine years ago, 10 years ago. I was sitting on my couch. I was reading a book. I had my cat on my lap. I had some candles and it was just a night at home. But then I looked up and I thought, oh my gosh, my life is so boring. Thank God. <laughs> But it was like that. It was like, wow, here it is. Yes. Oh, this is yes. actually it. Like when life is just happening and it's good and it's quiet, there isn't all this chaos and worry and stress happening. Yeah. It snuck up on me just like that. It wasn't like I had known before that moment that I was there. Exactly. When people say, are you going to do something fun this weekend? Right now, I'm like, oh, I hope not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, no, no, no. I'm working toward boring. Like, can I get there? Yes. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I love that. You have done so much for childhood sexual abuse survivors, and I so appreciate you coming on the podcast today. It's been a real treat, Anne. I appreciate you, and it's nice to connect with your community. I know for those of you women out there who are dealing with abusive men in your life and have also experienced childhood abuse, if there's any way that I can be of a support to you, I really welcome you to reach out. There are lots of resources available at the website and opportunities to connect, so please don't hesitate. Thank you so much, Rachel. If this podcast is helpful to you, please help us reach other women by following or subscribing and giving us a five-star rating. Thank you for helping other women find us. If you've already purchased a copy of my book, Trauma Mama, Husband Drama, please circle back and give it a five-star rating. A lot of women are searching for books about betrayal trauma on Amazon, and rating Trauma Mama will help them find this podcast, which is free to everyone. Your donations keep this podcast going. Go to our website, btr.org, scroll to the bottom, click on support the BTR podcast. And until next week, stay safe out there.